Hello, and welcome to What the Dev. I'm your host today, Christina Cardoza, news editor of SC Times. And joining us today is Stefan Fable, director of product at Canonical. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for joining us today. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So I thought you would be a great person to talk to because we wanted to look at Kubernetes. Obviously, it's becoming such a big open source project, and it's touching a lot of different spaces in the industry. You know, in the last year, I've seen a bunch of companies release new sol solutions on top of the open source tool or release new ways to integrate the open source tool. So, you know, what um, have you seen with Kubernetes over the last year? What are some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's a great question. So if you look at 2019, I think it's been a great year for Kubernetes uh, for the project overall. I think it's experienced uh, quite a lot of growth again uh, over 2018, which was already exciting. But I, I do think that it differentiated itself even further from, uh, from the previous years uh, in that I think we've seen more specialized use cases uh, come to light. So for example, uh, the whole efforts of containerized network functions for telco use cases, edge use cases, AI ML at the edge. So all of those uh, those use cases uh, now found not just a, uh, you know, I would call it maybe not even a, a, not only a theoretical sort of echo inside the community, but also a very practical uh, industry uh, echo where we've seen telcos uh, actively exploring um, the use of Kubernetes for network functions. We've seen network equipment providers uh, increasingly uh, steering their R&D towards containerized network functions. And we've seen Kubernetes really take off as uh, the next generation platform for especially the telco edge, as as I mentioned, going in. But then, second, I, I do think that uh, uh, that from a uh, from from an edge perspective and more general, I think that uh, uh, Kubernetes really experienced a lot of uh, growth and a lot of attention from um, uh, from the innovation projects that are out there in the industry, and that. It really is is opening the door to all kinds of super exciting use cases. I mean, think of uh, you know open retail, think of uh, hospitality solutions, autonomous driving, uh, think of um, uh, image processing, security, uh, IoT. There's a whole bunch of uh, of, of fields that are now uh, more and more open uh, to uh, Kubernetes as a common API to to uh, orchestrate workloads um, you know, across all of these devices and uh, tie those into a cloud core where Kubernetes you know, typically was associated with, right? I mean, people generally think uh, uh, of Kubernetes as something to orchestrate uh, uh, workloads in a, in a cloud, right? You know, in a DevOps fashion, et cetera. But I think that devices angle really brings some interesting use cases uh, to, the, uh, to the front. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, the project just continues to grow year after year. You mentioned it was great in 2018 and 2019. You know, we saw all of these new use cases. So what do you think really contributes to the success of the tool? You know, it's interesting because it, it ties into uh, something that I've been um, also maybe a little bit warning against, which is I, I think the 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 appeal of uh, of Kubernetes is, in a lot of ways, uh, its simplicity uh, in terms of how straightforward it is to simply orchestrate 
uh, a container. Now, if as soon as you move out of this uh, very straightforward use case, I just want to orchestrate on uh, containers. I just want to have Kubernetes coordinate the placement of these containers across all my workers. Then you're talking, uh, you know, platform features, right? And they can either go down into the infrastructure, like uh, you know, choosing a different CNI, choose, choosing a different CSI. So. Uh, you know, either a different way to implement networking or storage, for example, or uh, indeed even choosing a different uh, container runtime, for example. Um, so it can either go sort of down into the platform, into the infrastructure uh, even, or it can go up in complexity, for example, by, uh, you know, introducing service meshes and, and other platform features that are uh, sort of um, uh, augmenting the, the, the pure service deployment of uh, of a workload in, in Kubernetes. And I think therein lies complexity and lack of uh, of standardization. I think we've we've certainly found a, a coherent way to deploy all of those things, right? At the end of the day, it's it's a YAML file, right? And you adhere to that format. But you know when you when you start working with uh, with bare metal and when you start working with uh, with the infrastructure, there's other problems you now have, problems that uh, Kubernetes can solve on its own, right? Uh, you know, the most important and maybe obvious one is that uh, Kubernetes doesn't have a kernel, right? So it needs a, a kernel. In other words, it needs a hardware interface uh, for for the workloads to actually be effective at the end of the day. And so as a, as a Linux distribution provider, uh, what we're looking at in Canonical is how can we provide the best Kubernetes experience, but understanding the role that the kernel plays, the uh, you know how modern the kernel is, etc. And I think that is something that frequently gets uh, overlooked in the discussions and in the excitement about uh, you know the capabilities that that Kubernetes brings. You know, you just mentioned a couple of problems that Kubernetes is still having. So, what are some other things that you're seeing in the industry? You know, that people are using Kubernetes wrong with, or they're, you know, slipping up with Kubernetes that they should be cautious about when applying the project? You know, 2018 was, a uh, was you know, at least from my perspective, uh, a year when, when Kubernetes was deployed in pilots and labs, uh, you, you know, well, very early pilots, but mostly it was, uh, you know, having all the infrastructure and software architects getting to know the project, getting to understand how Kubernetes actually uh, you know, works and, and, you know, playing around with the intricacies of it. And so now that I think that exploration has largely happened, we now see for the first time the implementation of, you know, actual production use cases that, you know, go live in a meaningful way. In other words, they go live at scale, they they run mission critical workloads, etc. And I think, you know, while, while some of those things have always been true, of course, with early adopters and so on and so forth, I think the adoption curve is now at a point where we now see a much broader range of uh, Kubernetes projects come to fruition. I think a lot of uh, folks uh, have learned from uh, sort of the previous iteration of infrastructure as a service, right, where you looked at projects like OpenStack very early in the uh, in the OpenStack sort of life cycle as, as it started to get traction. It was really about uh, you know, in a lot of ways going overboard with, you know, let's have this as a service, let's have that as a service. And I think it, there's now this learning that that happened in this community where it's really about, uh, you know, focusing on what matters. So, you know, do one job, do that well, et cetera, rather than try 
to be the one thing that solves all of the people's problems. And so I think Kubernetes um, has a super fresh approach and a lot of advantages over OpenStack uh, by remaining focused, right? One of the things that I really appreciate about the project is the conformance testing, for example, that simply ensures that uh, the Kubernetes implementations, as they're out there, if they are done with a conformant uh, Kubernetes distribution, they're looking and behaving the same, right? It, it'll it'll uh, walk like a duck and so on. Uh, that wasn't always the case with OpenStack, right? Different OpenStack implementations might differ greatly and uh, you know they ha might have uh, different services that they expose they might have different uh, you know different authentication mechanisms they implement etc whereas with uh, with the way that um, uh, that Kubernetes does it I think it's a it's a real you know it's, it's a real progress a, a real mark of progress I think a real learning that happened here and I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes that people can therefore make is deviate from that right in other words uh, take portions of Kubernetes because you feel like you know that's the thing that you're taking, but you're leaving everything else uh, aside, or uh, forking away the um, uh, the code base to turn uh, Kubernetes into something that it wasn't intended to be. So I think that certainly is the biggest uh, pitfall that people can um, uh, can fall into. And I think the second uh, most important thing here to note is is that. You know, Kubernetes is the start of a journey. It's not the end of it, right? It's not you. You don't uh, expect to um, uh, to deploy Kubernetes and have solved your problems. You still have to think about the uh, you know simple physics, right? <laughs> in a way, right? It's still a workload. There might still be uh, stateful pieces in it. Uh, there's still a uh, a, a path uh, to um, uh, you know, from from the stateful uh, applications that are deployed right now, there's still a path from those traditional workloads to microservices-based, scale-out, uh, uh, containerized workloads, and that path still needs to be taken into account. So it's not about deploying and then forgetting. It's about uh, you know starting on a cloud-native journey, and I think the community has done uh, very well in outlining that journey and stressing that point specifically. But I think it tends to get um, uh, it tends to get ignored. Now, obviously, security is top of mind for everyone these days. I'm not sure if you saw the Cloud Native Computing Foundation just released a um, bug bounty Kubernetes um, initiative. So would you say security has been a problem or is a big problem with Kubernetes? I don't think it's a particularly large problem for Kubernetes. Uh, at least not. At least it's not more of a problem uh, than you know with anything else that you would deploy. I think it's just simply uh, it may not have enjoyed the uh, the attention uh, up until now. I think it's it's uh, it's a welcome move by the CNCF to you know to to actually engage in these um, uh, in these activities and to have those audits done. Um, it was one of the things that we've always uh, focused on as a as a, a distributor of Kubernetes is to really help our customers achieve the best security posture. And so we have always seen security as crucially important, but nothing that Kubernetes is uh, particularly lacking in, I would say. But I think it just has been, uh, you know, overlooked for quite some time, and that's also understandable, right? As you undergo uh, experimentation and you work through the lab uh, and and look at some of the use cases and try some applications and maybe implement a certain pilot, you know, security is not top of mind at that point. You're you're merely looking to make it work. 
Uh, I think now with more people going into production, we'll see uh, more exposure to um, you know security vulnerabilities, mainly because more people are looking, and probably more people will be trying uh, to uh, to penetrate uh, those those workloads there. Now, you also mentioned it earlier in our conversation, a number of use cases that people are using Kubernetes for. But there, are there any um, interesting use cases in particular that stand out to you or any ways people are using Kubernetes you may not have thought it would be used for? Well, it's it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I do I do think that uh, uh, Kubernetes as a job execution engine is, is an interesting use case. It's, I mean, it's a niche thing, but uh, I, I do like, especially in the context of machine learning, when you look at projects like Kubeflow, where you uh, you know you can submit a job to Kubernetes and then Kubernetes just executes that job on the basis of you know scheduling uh, uh, machine learning jobs in this case, right? Uh, I think people uh, generally think of Kubernetes when they think about it as a way to simply run containers, but in a in a sort of uh, in a permanent fashion, right? I, I start. Uh, I start up my uh, containerized workloads, then that workload is running, and then there is uh, you know auto healing and elasticity and everything else associated with the way that that Kubernetes treats that workload. But you know, generally people tend to think about Kubernetes as something that can simply accept a job that executes and then exits. And I think that's an interesting uh, use case that gets overlooked. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's quite nice to to look at some of the um, other opportunities to expose that type of functionality. Now, are there any features you feel um, that are missing from Kubernetes, or is there anything that you're waiting to be released or added to the open source project? I would like to see Kubernetes uh, be as lean as possible. Uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the biggest lessons that uh, we anyway took away from uh, uh, from OpenStack was that you need to focus on on the core and do that well. I think uh, uh, you know, as any project of this magnitude and this size with that amount of traction, uh, it's it's it there it carries a risk, an inherent risk to to try and become everything to all people. And I would caution against that. I don't think that uh, it's you know, it behooves us to to sort of call uh, call it a complete victory right now. I do think that uh, uh, different technologies have their place for different use cases. We still have mainframes. Mainframes is a great business uh, that's growing. Uh, you know, even today, and you know, there's no reason to assume that uh, that wouldn't be the case for uh, virtual machine-based uh, workloads or bare metal-based workloads. And there's also no reason to assume that uh, there wouldn't be a, a enough applications or enough room in the world for all technologies to exist um, or to coexist there. And I, I would caution uh, anybody to to frame this conversation uh, in terms of uh, replacing uh, uh, some other technologies or uh, you know, I, I don't think that's, you know, and to be frank and to be fair, I haven't met anybody from the community who's thinking about it that way, expressing that way. This is largely how uh, the reporting often portrays it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would be my comment on that. I believe that's all the time we're going to have today, Stefan. But before we go, is there any final thoughts about Kubernetes, about what people should work, look out for, about how the company is looking to you know, expand or grow the tool that you wanted to add before we leave our listeners today? Sure. Um, so there's uh, there's two things, actually, where 
you know, I would like to draw attention to our uh, distribution of Kubernetes uh, in, uh, it comes in two forms, but the one that I'm um, super excited about is MicroKates. It's a uh, single install distribution of Kubernetes. Uh, it's meant for both data center as well as IoT use cases. It's uh, very small, compact, and comes with, it's conformant, uh, most importantly, and it comes with the most popular features uh, and platform um, uh, components already included, so you can simply enable those. So I'd encourage everybody to kind of give it a try. It's available at microcates.io. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Um, that was Stefan Fable, Director of Product at Canonical. And until next time, I'm Christina Cardoza with What the Dev.